one of my pastor friends on Facebook recently said, all preachers are televangelists now. How true that is. Whether we like it or not, whether we were ready for it or not, we are all coming to you via screen, which is a great blessing of technology, but it also can be a bit daunting for us. Thank you to those of you who have told us that our services are meaningful and making a difference for you. Our sincere prayer is that we are creating a space for all of us to meet with the living Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And he is why we are here this morning. We celebrate his life given as the ultimate sacrifice. We are full of joy because his presence lives in those who put their trust in him. For those who want to know him more in this life and in the life to come. Lately, there have been two interpretations of the afterlife which have coalesced together for me. One is from the television show called The Good Place. We had five people in our lives, quite unrelated and very different from one another, who urged us to watch this show. So we did. And I just couldn't get into it. It's a story about what happens to a group of people when they die. And there was little about how they portrayed the afterlife that looked familiar to me from what I knew from scripture or imagined it in my mind. So a few shows in, we were ready to be done. But all five people, sincere followers of Jesus, told us to keep at it. We did. And I'm glad for it because it gets better. While there's plenty that the show doesn't get right or doesn't address, there are important concepts and really thoughtful questions to consider from it. At the same time, our small group has been reading the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I swear that the writers of The Good Place must have read Lewis's book. Their depiction of the bad place, where the demons have free reign, is much the same as what Lewis wrote. Along the same line, a few years ago, actually years ago now, Mark and I taught a class at church where each week we watched clips from various films showing different ideas of what heaven is going to be like. Some were rather dystopian. Others were comforting. Most of them, though, were like the good place, where humans decided what would be best with no real true presence of God. All this to say, I've been thinking a lot about what comes after death. This is not a new topic. We know this. Writers and philosophers and theologians in all generations have tried to tackle exactly what it will be like when we leave this earth. In this part of 1 Corinthians, which Stephanie read for us, Paul is addressing head-on some questions which have come up in the church, giving us some of the best thoughts that we have about why the resurrection 
matters. This letter is one of the earliest writings in the New Testament. It predates the Gospels, Acts, and Revelation, and it comes only 20 to 25 years after Christ's life on earth. Corinth was an important wealthy city on a narrow strip between northern and southern Greece. Paul spent 18 months there during his second missionary trip, establishing a church there before he moved on. This letter is one that he sent in response to reports that he was getting about problems in the church. He is wanting to give pastoral guidance so that they can have resolution on questions that they had. Questions such as, what do we do about food that has been offered to idols? Sexual immorality and lawsuits. Now, most of those topics are moral and ethical dilemmas related to how Christians behave. Now, in chapter 15, Paul turns to a doctrinal issue, a question, the most important question for all Christians. If the church doesn't get this right, all the other issues don't matter. The church is questioning the bodily resurrection of the dead. They believed Jesus died and rose again, but many were denying that humans would have bodies in the afterlife. And Paul is insisting here that to deny the resurrection of the body is to deny that Christ rose from the dead, which empties the faith of its foundational truth. Chapter 15 is quite long. The opening words are almost a creed, reminding how the early believers were witnesses to Christ's rising from the dead. Paul describes how after the resurrection, Jesus met many who followed him in person and appeared also to Paul himself on the road. Then there is our passage. And then Paul goes on to talk about how through one man, Adam, came death. But through another man, Christ, came life. Paul goes on to say, Jesus has destroyed our greatest enemy, which is death. Everything, everything now is subject to the reign of Christ, even to those who don't know it or acknowledge it. He is the eternal almighty king. Someone may say, Jesus is not my God, but that doesn't change the fact that he is. It just tells us simply what they believe. Christ is in all and over all. People can live as though that's not a fact, but it is the absolute truth which comes as a result of the resurrection. Paul goes on to talk about what happens to us when we die and assures us that our bodies as well will be raised in glory. Now the skepticism about bodily resurrection for the church came from various religious and historical sources at the time. Most everyone in the ancient world believed in some form of afterlife, although what that would be is not greatly formulated in the Old Testament. 
In Greek culture, there was a fear of death and a hope to live a full, long life here. Plato's concept of dualism also influenced many at the time. The idea is that physical matter, like our bodies, are not important at best, and they are evil at worst. The soul is what is good, because they thought that it existed before life on earth and would continue after death. So Christians had started incorporating this idea of a disembodied immortality, which Paul is trying to correct. In God's kingdom, life involves body, mind, and spirit. This is one of the reasons why the New Testament emphasizes how Jesus had a body. He was born as a baby. He walked everywhere. He was thirsty and hungry. He was tired. When he was arrested, his body was beaten and scourged. They crucified him. To make sure he was dead, they pierced his side. His body was laid in a tomb. After he died, people saw him and knew who he was. They touched him. They fell and worshiped at his feet. He was physically present with them, not just a spirit. The resurrection of Christ is the most important miracle which has taken place in the history of the world. There are, there are many who believe death is the end, not because they've done much study on it, but because they've simply decided that is what is true. But we have to look at the claims of Christ. We have to answer them. He said he would rise again. And we have to look at the overwhelming historical and eyewitness evidence of the resurrection's occurrence. When we start digging for truth, we find it. Paul is trying to convince his readers of how they will be raised just as Jesus was in his body. But the logic he uses almost sounds as if he wants us to think about a world where the resurrection has not occurred. Can you even imagine such a place? I've been trying to conjure what our lives would be like if Jesus had not risen from the grave. Listen to what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, he says, the apostles' work and ministry would be useless. Death would be just death. There would be no point at all to faith. Jesus was not who he said he was. God's will would have been vastly misunderstood. There would be no hope of life forever with God everyone would still be in their sin. Those who have died believing in Christ would have perished. If there is no resurrection, that means that death defeated Jesus and he is gone forever. However, 
Paul turns the image around in verse 20 with three little words. He says, but in fact. And then he goes on to say, Christ has been raised from the dead. It is a fact that Jesus defeated death. A fact that God reigns supreme. A fact that because of his victory, we have hope of a life forever with him. God turned the world upside down when Jesus was crucified. People were confused and scattered. It makes us think of this time in our lives when very little is certain. We are upended now and it shocks us into worrying that maybe we will run out of what we need at home. Praying for medical professionals and hoping that they have the supplies needed to care for those affected across the globe. Wondering about the economy and people's livelihoods. Distressing that so many are sick and grieving for the victims of this virus. Imagining what is normal gonna be again when we can venture from our homes what will the world look like? Praying for how people and businesses and families will recover. What we thought was routine, what we came to rely upon and take for granted every day, even our very own health is not what we can count on forever. Paul is reminding us to never, ever, take the resurrection for granted. He is urging us to believe the witness of others. He is using reason to call to mind the experiences we have of the risen Lord. He is pleading with us to move our hope from the uncertain things here and now to the eternity that Jesus provides. Why do you believe in the resurrection? How has Jesus met you? How has his death given you new life? A new purpose, a new call. How has his presence been a comfort to you in this time? We always have to keep the resurrection at the forefront of our faith. If Jesus rose from the dead, this gives us a reason to get up every morning. He is the truth who guides our choices, informs our worship, gives us the supernatural ability to love and forgive one another. Christ being raised changes everything about us and continues to transform our lives because we live and breathe every day in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection moves us toward him. And here, Paul is reminding us that one day we will be raised. Every part of us 
will be raised to a heavenly realm where we will live with Jesus forever. One of our quotes this week comes from Pope John Paul II. Born in Poland, his early life was marked by tragedy, losing his mother when he was nine and his oldest brother when he was 12. While at university in 1939, the Nazis invaded and occupied his country. Many were deported and killed or sent to camps, many of his friends and neighbors. In 1941, he began working in a factory and his father died. He began studying at an illegal seminary so that he might enter the ministry, narrowly escaping being rounded up to join the German army. He recalled that witnessing the horrors of that time showed him the true meaning of being a priest, how redemption could be gained through the sufferings of Christ. Listen to what he once said in a sermon celebrating this day. Do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are Easter people and hallelujah is our song. In the shifting, surreal times we are living in, we must not turn to despair. Christ came to live among us and he lives among us still. He is the constant we hold on to, always remembering how his lifeless body was raised anew so that everyone, everyone could be given hope. In the middle of the hardest times we face, our Redeemer lives. Daily, he is ministering to those who are suffering and alone and weary and embattled, those who are bitter and poor and addicted and lost. There are billions who have trusted in the name of Jesus, who have believed in him as savior in the best and the most dire of circumstances. Remember the words of Jesus spoken to the disciples before the crucifixion in John 16. I have told you these things, he said, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Dear friends, take heart, Jesus has overcome the world, which means that we can overcome the world as well. I have no doubt that Jesus is alive. I believe with my whole heart, he has been with every people group in every generation and will continue until he comes again. His grace frees us from our shame. His truth helps us to know him. His love continues to remake us into his image. His justice moves us to go and free others. I see the evidence of the spirit all around us and I can't imagine life on earth without him.
There are numerous explanations for what the next world is like in the spiritual realm. While none of us know exactly what that will be, we can be sure of one thing. Jesus is at the center of all of the saints who are gathered around the throne of heaven right now, singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power. The lamb that was slain stands in glory as our risen savior. This is our Easter song, hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.